Welcome to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Kantar and Side Business School, University of Oxford. In each episode, we speak with marketing leaders and share insights to help brands and business leaders navigate the ever-changing marketing landscape and hopefully dispel some myths and misconceptions along the way. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Jane Osler, and I'm EVP Global Thought Leadership at Kantar. So I'm really pleased to say that our guest today is Raja Rajamanar, who is Chief Marketing and Communications Officer for MasterCard, um, as well as a best-selling author. So um, it's great to have you on our podcast today, Raja. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me, Jane. Much appreciate the opportunity to share a few thoughts. And what we want to talk about with you is your thoughts about what marketers should be thinking about in 2023. Obviously, there's a lot going on. Um, we've got, you know, rather volatile economic conditions around the world. Um, we've got sort of brands who are considering, some brands are considering even cutting their investments in marketing, while others are saying they'll maintain. But all brands, as we know, are expected to to grow during the year. And we know that from our Brand Z research that businesses that do invest in their brands tend to outperform the market. So yes. it's seen to be a, a good idea. What do you think marketers should be doing in these inflationary times? So first and foremost, uh, irrespective of whether inflation is either tapering off at a particular leveling off at a particular level, or whether there is going to be a recession, mild or severe, short or long run, uh, and whether the war will continue, whether the energy crisis is behind us. All these are lots of things that people are playing with, right? And these, these are challenges and uncertainties. And many of the CEOs and the CFOs get very conservative in these kind of times. So therefore, I'm not surprised when I hear from many of my colleagues uh, from across the marketing industry uh, that their budgets are a bit tentative. So there is a baseline, but they might actually go down. And my first order of business, I would say, for any marketer at this point in time, 
is to really start connecting the dots between their marketing activities and the business outcomes in a credible, thorough fashion. Because your point is so right. At the times of crisis, when you don't invest, the ground that you lose will be so substantial that to regain it, you have to invest several folds over. And from that perspective, it just doesn't make sense to cut budgets at this point in time when there is uncertainty prevailing. But then it's not just an emotional appeal to the CFOs and the CEOs. You need to be quantitative. You need to be financially savvy. And you need to help them see the connection between what your investments in marketing are and what the return on investment is to the business itself. So I think that's something which is uh, very critical. Not an easy thing, not a short-term solution, but that's what they have to get on and try their best. The other thing which marketers have on their plate at the moment is a kind of continued um, evolution of the uh, digital advertising market. And I think you made some quite interesting comments about trends that you'd seen at uh, CES this year. Um, can you just let us know what trends you, you identified and, and what are relevant for marketers to consider, but particularly with the evolution of digital? See, I think as far as the overall digital sphere is concerned, the single biggest trend I see is the emergence of AI in a dramatic fashion. Uh, things like chat GPT are novel. There are a lot of buzzy words around it. And there is a lot of, uh, you know, what you call hype and exaggeration and happiness, acceleration, call it whatever. <laughs> but the reality is AI is going to play a crucial role. Now, AI plays across the entire realm. Why only digital? But the reason why I focus on digital even more is because digital is very technology-led. And with the evolution of 5G, in conjunction with the sophistication of AI, the quality of real-time marketing that can be done on digital channels is incredible. So this is the biggest one I see. And I have been saying it for the last two years, and I still maintain that AI is going to be our future. The second thing I would also say is augmented reality. Now, augmented reality is going to be dramatically changing. It will be adding a new dimension and depth to consumers' uh, experience and engagement with everything around them. And marketers need to figure out how they will show up in those spaces. Now, augmented reality is already being leveraged by some companies, for example, like IKEA, where you take their catalog, you scan the image and drop it in your room, see how it feels. That's just one of the millions and zillions of use cases that I have seen. But I think that's one area. And particularly if the big players like Apple now start coming in, and there are rumors, of course, that Apple will be coming up with their AR uh, glasses and so on, irrespective of that, whether they launch or not, AR is going to take deep roots in this space. Uh, and the last one I would say from a trend point of view is, you know, if you look at the uh, tenure of marketers, uh, in various organizations that is actually shrinking. And unfortunately, during these uncertain times as well, that's going to happen. And there is going to be a lot of turbulence and turmoil in terms of talent staying with one company and uh, versus, you know, the longevity is going to really suffer as I see it. If we could just look at those briefly one by one, if that's all right. So coming to AI, because there's AI, right, on the sort of chat GBT level and, you know, every um, man and his dog on LinkedIn is looking at um, you know, different ways of using it and testing out whether it's any good and trying to work out, you know, wriggle ways around it and see where they can, you know, make it make it say the wrong thing. 
Um, where do you think AI is going to play the biggest role, though? Because like we use it at Kantar um, as one of the ways that you can test your creative at scale. But, you know, obviously the training set of data is a quarter of a million real ads that have been tested with real people. So there's the testing realm. Um, I guess then there's also the um, the analytics realm as well. Um, but and then there's the kind of creation end of the spectrum, which is, you know, the copywriting, the, you know, everyone's testing out the image um, generation tools as well. So where do you think it's going to have the biggest impact? So I, the, it's uh, not one versus the other, but it is uh-huh. and it's all right. Uh-huh. So for example, at MasterCard itself, we are deploying uh, AI at scale, both in the consumer marketing and B2B marketing. So in the consumer marketing, if we just focus on it for one second, it spans the entire spectrum of the marketing value chain, starting from how do you process data that is not well organized and from very disparate sources and make sense out of it in real time or at least near real time. So that's one big thing. So insights. The second, once you have the insight, what do you do with it? Now, we have created a complete digital marketing engine, which is end-to-end in Asia-Pacific, where based on what is the chatter that's happening in the news media and in the social media, et cetera, the AI engine predicts the micro-trends that are going to happen in the next 48 hours, next 72 hours. And what then it does is, once it predicts the trend, it looks at the inventory of our messages of our offers and of our products and of our services and say, for this kind of a conversation that is taking place, this is probably the most appropriate thing that has to be served up to the consumers. So it's offer mapping as we call it. Then the third one is, once it decides that this is the offer or this is the message that we want to communicate, it creates that message right now in a static form. Uh, It's not yet video. It's just static, it creates the whole ad, so to speak. And then it serves in the right media. So it buys the media in real time. And then it does A-B testing on its own. And it optimizes the entire ad. And then it starts measuring the results. And then it actually does the ROI calculations. So it's like the entire chain has been taken over by a combination of automation, combination of AI, and a combination of uh, the other digital capabilities like the uh, listening tools and things like that for the social media, et cetera, that we have invested in. So this is on the B2B side, on the B2C side. If you look at on the B2B side, one of the biggest things we see is we have to respond to RFPs all the time. So when a bank says, hey, here is an RFP, MasterCard, respond to it, normally it would have taken us about six to eight weeks to come up with what we call as the as a draft zero which is it has got all the information and now we have to only fine tune the offer and the pricing and the deal actually. Now we are able to do it in less than four hours. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So for us, so what happens is that really frees up the time and focus of the product people, of the sales people, and of the finance people to construct the deal as opposed to respond to the RFP because the AI is doing it. Now, when we started deploying AI, our effectiveness was about, I would say, 35%. 65% was garbage. 35% made sense. But today, as the system started learning more and more, we're almost at 90 92% accurate, and the rest of the 8% we still have got human intervention to do. So that's why, though it gets done in about four, actually, I, I take it back, it's not four hours, but four minutes. So then we spend the next eight hours trying to get the RFP into the good shape, and then, so that's why, so it shaves off about uh, six weeks of time from your process. So these are the kind of things which AI are doing it, and I'm very excited about it, and it has got applicability across the entire marketing value chain. Okay, so evolving quickly and watch this space. I think the next thing I, I wanted to touch on then was AR. And if we can broaden that out to other sort of experiential type marketing that, you know, CMOs might be looking at this year, including uh, Web3 activities. Um, what do you think the big developments there are going to be? Because does it speak to the sort of gamification of marketing, um, evolution of new universes that marketers can play in? So what I would say is probably uh, if you look at the overall Web3 space, now it has a bunch of technologies. Even Metaverse is not just one thing. You've got Metaverses and then you've got components of Metaverse. But if you have to break it down into augmented reality, virtual reality, uh, we've got cryptocurrencies, we've got blockchains, and we've got NFTs, the combination of these collectively, let's call it, say, Web3. Now, each one of these has got a certain level of impact, some more profound, some less so. So if you look at, for example, things like virtual reality, by its very nature, it makes, it transports the viewer or the consumer into a different world through a complete immersion, right? That's what the VR sets are and so on, which are today very clunky and the quality of the uh, experience is not fantastic in case of VR. That will evolve, and a lot of companies are investing billions of dollars in that space, so I'm sure there will be technological advancements and they will be improving the consumer experience. But on the other hand, AR is here and now. Now, AR, what it's doing is it's adding an extra layer of information or something interesting, either in your physical environment or in your digital environment. Now, for marketers, what's the thing? Let's look at one simple application, which we have sort of experimented a little bit and we found it to be of real value. So if you are walking on, uh, say, a street, a main street in a particular town. Now, when you are walking, you cannot see the shops because the shops are all parallel to you. So unless there is something perpendicular, it will not be in your vision of sight or in your, uh, you know, in, in line of sight. So one of the things, simple things, but there is sometimes magic in simplicity. If I'm standing there and I look at the street, now the system knows which shop is ahead of me using any of the map technologies. And for each shop, if I say, hey, MasterCard has these experiences in this particular shop, say so special offers are here. 
Here it is, buy one, get one free. There you have got a priceless experience that's available in that particular, not just about 300 feet away. Now, what happens is when you're standing there and looking at your phone and looking at what is in front of you, you have got a profoundly important and relevant information that's coming your way, which is phenomenal. The other kind of a thing, for example, if you were to go to any of these tourist places, now we are heavily into tourism departments and we enable experiences at various uh, uh, tourist sites. Now, in those kind of situations, what happens is, again, when somebody is there, you'd eliminate the need of a guide altogether, strictly speaking. Now, when you have, while you have those microphones that you can actually put your, uh, or the speaker uh, handset that you put against your ear and listen to, that is one level of experience. But on the other hand, if you wear the AR glasses and you're walking through a historical site and you've got the commentary coming through the glasses itself and you can see what the details are, it takes the experience to a different level. And I have seen a demo of this, which is Fantastic, absolutely. So AR is going to be very critical. And last thing I would say is if you look at from a shopping perspective, retail shopping, you're walking in, you see there is a bunch of apples on the shelf. The AR can say, where is which farm is it coming from? What is the carbon footprint that you're putting there? Is it really organic? Has it been certified? Who certified that it's organic and so on? There could be so many marketing applications from with AR. And I will be much more uh, bullish and optimistic about augmented reality uh, taking root and probably virtual reality is a little further down the line. Yeah, that's an interesting point. The, the concept of sort of AR as your own sustainability support mechanism. That's, yeah, very, very Absolutely. interesting example. And just very briefly to, to wrap up those two, um, how do you know whether those things are working or not? Um you know, they're exciting, they're immersive experiences, they're great, they presumably will cost some money you need to invest in them. How do you prove to your board that these things are worth doing or uh, investing more in? See, it's a trust and it's a credibility that you earn over a period of time. It doesn't happen overnight to mm-hmm. you know uh, earn those from your board member or from your CEO, for that matter. Uh, but what is required specifically, like I said before, you need to have very thorough and robust models that will help you assess the uh, cost-benefit analysis. It will measure the ROI in a credible fashion that you can see, yeah, this is believable. Now, for example, if marketers do the ROI exercises themselves and self-report, I always found that there is a healthy dose of skepticism in the minds of the CFOs and the CEOs. And they say, yeah, yeah, what else are you going to say? Obviously, it's all positive news because you want more money. But the point is, if you were to get, and this is where I I feel very good about what we have done at MasterCard several years back, almost 10 years back, that I negotiated or discussed with my CFO, and now I have my own CFO within marketing, who has dual reporting both to me and into the finance area. So what happens is it is a finance person who is resident in marketing. And when my first one was a woman, she has now become the chief risk officer. But then the CFO now, this person, whatever he or she reports, there is a ton of credibility because it's a finance person sitting in marketing shop. Plus, it also brings a lot of trust between the two departments because you are suddenly very open and transparent. You know, historically, if you see marketers are very nervous about which part of their marketing budgets will get taken away. So therefore, they are operating with a little bit of a closed kimono, so to speak, and they don't let other people to see in what is happening. Whereas if you have a finance person in your own area, 
you open the kimono i think that brings so much amount of trust it's unbelievable and i have witnessed it firsthand the second thing is when you have one over the finance person and when the same story is narrated to the ceo or to the board both by you as well as by somebody else who is considered to be a traditional uh, what do you call i would not say enemy but traditionally somebody who is skeptical about your numbers is also validating and saying the same thing that enhances your credibility quite a lot and that's how you actually win over your ceo and your board great unless on your point about tenure now you you've been in this role um around around 10 years lots of uh marketers may only stay for i don't know a couple of years so does does that mean that if if people don't stay very long in marketing roles does that then push them towards short term quick win activities as opposed to uh longer term what's your view on that uh, i absolutely agree with you see if someone is going in with a mindset i'm here for two or three years then what would they do they would chase all the shiny toys uh try to get low hanging fruit so to speak because they want to create a quick impact and then move on and the things which are really required for long term and medium term business building do not get taken up because they take they take time to generate those results and if you know that you're only here for two three years why bother to get, get into those just be short term focused get your performance marketing well in place and yeah. do a few shiny attractive things say i'm doing something in metaverse i'm doing something in augmented reality do a little bit of a flash in the pan and then walk out but i think that's very detrimental for the company because typically when a person enters a cmo role assuming this person is coming from outside this person will take i would say a good one year to really get their teeth into the business to understand everything about the business that is relevant to be an effective marketer and to build the right kind of a structure right kind of processes and all that then the second year you're actually starting to really deliver you know results and the third year is actually what assesses whether your results are flash in the pan or are they sustainable for the t- long term so my point is that uh, you know organizations are shortchanging themselves by making these ceo cmo moves so rapidly and and, and uh, so short term okay. and and i'd like to finish on um, innovation, which, as we know, is the kind of lifeblood of, of um, many uh, organizations. And it's mm-hmm. the, also a big stimulator for for growth for, for many brands. Um, and you are renowned for uh, your innovation, as well as obviously getting all the marketing basics right. But on top of that, you've managed to do some really quite um, uh, leading edge things with sonic branding, um, you know, um, making the MasterCard symbol the, the predominant feature on the card rather than the word MasterCard. So what's your view on innovation generally, how marketers should adopt it? See, I, I would say that if you look at marketing, what is their role? Their role, I would look at it as the reason why they exist. There are three reasons. Firstly, they have to build, nurture and protect their brand. Number two, they have to drive the business, be a force for growth of their company. Number three, they have to build platforms for sustainable competitive advantage for their products, for their brands, for their services, for the company in total. So, and of course, while doing all this, they also have to be a force for the good at the societal level. Mm-hmm. Now, to balance all these things together, as opposed to take one module and just focus on one or two aspects, if you have to do it in a holistic way, you require to think outside of the box. Outside the box thinking is absolutely critical. 
Now, marketers are actually supposed to have that. They are supposed to be by their nature creative. They are also innovative. And innovation doesn't have to be only with creativity. Innovation could be across the entire board. It could be innovating new products. It's a product innovation. It could be a process innovation. It can be a packaging innovation. There are so many innovations that can be done. And without innovation, you cannot advance. Creativity, on the other hand, is fascinating. It's one of the core attributes which drives innovation. It also drives your campaigns. It also drives your communication. And the combination of these is going to be extremely powerful. Now, in the new era, which I call the fifth paradigm of marketing, you need to be like Leonardo da Vinci, meaning you have to operate with your left brain and with your right brain. Classical marketers are very good with their right brain thinking, with creativity, with their uh, you know psychology and understanding of psychology and sociology, anthropology, design, and so on. That's all they're pretty good at. And creativity is part of that too. But on the other hand, you have to be left-brained as well. You're talking about analytics. You're talking about data. You're talking of technology. You're talking of finance. You need to bring all these things together. And those unique combinations can be brought about through extraordinary innovation. You've been listening to Future Proof from Kantar and Side Business School. For all episodes and more information, visit kantar.com or oxfordfutureofmarketing.com. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode.